Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Wednesday, July 17th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today in the program, Wednesday as usual, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson will join us. We welcome back co-host of Humanity in the Headlines, Atiba Buchanan, and its political strategist, Lori Glenn. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Dark Side of the Moon Wednesday. And here's why. Well, yesterday, as you all know, I made a pronouncement on this very uh, podcasty. I said it as clear as I could possibly say it, that there is no way, absolutely no way, that the American people will reelect Donald John Trump as their president in 2020. I said, and I said it here on the airwaves, that the American people are too smart to elect such a blatantly bigoted buffoon one more time. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, you remember that, D? Yeah. All right. Well, for today's show, we are going to give an imposing point of view from... That's a drum roll. That's pretty good. All right, we get oh, it. I'm sorry, I'm getting carried away. I started doing wipeout. Wow, look at that. We're going to give an opposing point of view from me. Yes, indeed. I'm going to give the opposing point of view. You're saying, how, Ben, can you have two different points of view in your head at the same time? Because that's the way I roll. Because he's babe. a weirdo, guys. <laughs> I'm schizo, schizo, all right? Schizo. I'm like the flag blowing in the wind. It goes this way this day, and it goes that way the other day, and I feel this way one day, and I feel the other way. It's like a Bulls game, D. Bulls are up 20 points in the second quarter, and I'm telling you, yeah, man, this is the year we party in Grand Park. And then the Raptors make a 13-point run, and it's down to nine. I'm like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? We're going to lose. We're not going to make the playoffs. That's kind of how I am when I view this presidential election. By the way, D, how's that teeth doing? You okay? Oh, that teeth? Yeah. yeah no, teeth okay? I had a root canal. I feel like crap. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of woozy today, everybody. Uh, about 10 o'clock today, the young doctor went under. Did they put you out? No. Well, they just like gave me that shot. You know what I mean? The yeah, Novocaine or they, whatever. They took the drug. He went to um, the Larry, uh, Curly, and Moe dentist <laughs> office over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they took a stick of dynamite. And then they took, uh, you know, the anvil or whatever the thing that... And, uh, and then they drove that stake in there. All know, of that happened oh, today. Wise guy. They took out the pliers, took the tooth out. He's good as new, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, he's a little woozy today. Uh, but anyway, okay, back to Focus. the opposing point of view. All right? Now, people are out there saying, Ben, there's no way that you could be so optimistic about what voters are up to. Haven't you learned anything from the city of Chicago? And you know what? You got a good point there. Voters in the city of Chicago, 
you know, I love you, but you're not the brightest people in the world. Not the brightest bulbs out there. Let's see. Remember? Oh, Rom closed the clinics and Rom closed the schools. And then all of a sudden he's running for reelection and he put on a sweater and the voters of Chicago go, what a nice guy. I'll think I'll vote for a nice sweater. (laughs) It was a really nice sweater. All right. So, you know, voters, if you're really depending on voters. You're going to be in a a lot of trouble, folks. And uh, that's kind of how I feel it today. And that view was fortified by an email, or no, a Facebook message I got from our good listener, Babs. I'm going to read this to you right now, Dave. What up, Babbers? Yeah, because he really laid it out there. Here you go. This is uh, from Babs. He sent it to my Facebook page. Trump, the diabolical genius. He's not an idiot. There are some things he's learned well. He didn't invent these tactics. He just mastered them. Know your audience and don't speak down to the base. This is something Democrats like Hillary don't do. The general electorate wants an answer, not a dissertation. This played out in the Hillary-Bernie debates. When Hillary, forever equivocating, would use the entire two minutes to answer a question, Bernie would respond yes or no. back up his position remember hillary by the way democrats still fighting that old election bashing hillary anyway remember hillary foolishly pointing out that the populations that voted for were very highly educated if you can speak to the base you don't do it where the base is strategic racism use racist dog whistle politics one caravans of angry mobs dark-skinned women from violent countries aren't american two play the victim card when accused of being a racist i didn't say mexican muslims blacks three accuse your accuser of being the racist for injecting the words racism or racist into the dialogue knowing it's a rally cry for the base liberals are always calling us racist no one is talking about race but them in this way the base is manipulated into becoming fodder for the plutocrats oh babs after reading that i was like oh my god he's right donald trump is play- it's like a maestro and he's he's just absolutely playing us. He's firing us up. He sends out these racist tweets and it gets the Democrats to overreact. And then he's like able to put the, the Democrat overreaction out there to his base saying, see, you can't trust them. Babs is right. That's the me speaking today, folks, as opposed to the me speaking yesterday. All right. So it's like two sides of the same person having this dialogue in my brain. By the way, I'm not alone. Democrats don't act like you're not the same way. Every day I speak to another Democrat. Some days they're happy. It's like they saw good news and they go, we're going to win. Other days they're sad. They saw some bad news and they're gloomy. Like we can't, we can't possibly win. We're going to lose. Anyway, Donald Trump has successfully or is trying to put AOC's head on the Democratic body, if you will, to take to make the Democrats uh, synonymous with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Alain Omar and the other uh, Democratic Congresswomen fra- who are rookies and are on the left side of the Democratic Party. And the Democrats don't really know what to do with that. Do they distance themselves from AOC and Omar? Well, it's hard to do that because AOC and Omar are the revered faces of the younger part, a left wing of the Democratic Party and all the Democratic presidents who are uh, presidential candidates want to appeal to them to win the primary and get the nomination. So it's really you can't distance yourself from them at the same time. All the moderates and centrists are saying America hates these people, which is so unfair. I happen to be a huge fan of AOC. Once again, D, it's like I'm I'm at war with myself. I love AOC. At the same time, I'm afraid. Please go away for this. Can you imagine working with this guy? (laughs) 
the flag in the wind blowing this way and that way. And I'm not alone. The Democratic Party is losing its mind. Doesn't know what to do. Anyway, harnessing hate, playing one faction against another, playing on our fears. That's the ticket for success for Donald Trump. That, my friends, is the dark side of my brain these days. It's like that uh, Pink Floyd song, The Dark Side of the Moon, D. That's the dark side of my brain, all right? The bright side is no way. No way will America's voters fall for this racist, bigoted appeal. They're too smart for that, D. All right? That's the bright side. Show me that I'm wrong to have a negative view of you, America, Prove that the bright side should prevail. We got a great show today, everybody. Monroe Anderson. Yes, that Monroe Anderson will be here. Uh, talking oh, about, I thought it was the other Monroe Anderson. Thank Trump, God it's that Monroe Trump, Anderson. Trump, Atiba Buchanan will be here as well from Humanity in the Headlines. He'll be talking Trump, 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 and the Democrats' response. How can the Democrats beat back Trump? Uh, and then Lori Glenn will be here in the 2.30 hour, the political strategist. Uh, we'll be talking more politics, local, state, national, all that good stuff with Lori Glenn. And uh, let's see, anything else we're going to have on the day? Oh, we're going to get a report from Leah on Aziz Ansari's new uh, Netflix uh, of comedy show, which I saw last night, which I thought was really good. So we're going to talk about that as well. That and much, much more. But first, the news with Mr. Toothman, the doctor. <laughs> Dr. D. Oh, yeah, not a doctor. <laughs> Guys, I just had a root canal. I feel like crap. I didn't have time to write my news. Ben's going to help me out here. Uh, We're going to do a brand new segment here on the program. <laughs> it's called Dennis Loses a Tooth. Yeah. No, I still got it. They fixed it. I got a root canal. What it is a root canal? It's in good shape. I don't know. It was, it, they said, Leah, do you know what a root canal is? I, I think they pull out the root. It hurt like hell. They Whatever. take yeah. a drill. <laughs> Did okay, they give you, you're, they, they you're give you some me flashbacks. Yeah, they gave me Novocaine. Oh, okay. All right, so we're going to do a new segment here on the program called Ben's Top Three <laughs> National Stories. That's right. All right. Starting with number one. <laughs> the Democratic congressmen have passed a resolution, and it's nothing positive here. It's condemning our president, Donald Trump, as a racist. All right. Well, first of all, I was obsessively following this uh, last night, reading article after article, all the wheeling and dealing on the floor of Congress. Uh, the Democrats were united in passing a resolution condemning Trump as a racist. Here, here, I say he is a racist. Uh, and but they did it in the face of uh, pretty much uh uh, over unanimous opposition for Republicans. I think I'm doing this off the top of my head. There were four Republicans who broke ranks uh, to vote with the Democrats on this resolution, uh, including the independent up in uh, uh, Michigan. No, I guess he would be the fifth person uh, who is not a Democrat who voted for this. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was the leader of it. It's funny how things change so quickly. It was just about a week ago that Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, the Congresswoman from suburban San Francisco, and Lori Glenn will be talking about her later in the show. Lori uh, knows a thing or two about uh, California politics. But anyway, uh, Nancy Pelosi was uh, making disparaging comments about uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and the other members of the squad uh, in a conversation she had with Maureen Dowd of the New York Times. Here we are a week later and in a private meeting of the uh, the Democratic uh, legislatures in uh, Washington, Nancy Pelosi urged them to vote for this resolution, calling the squad, calling them uh, the four congresswomen our sisters. How about that for changing times? Uh, Donald Trump has uh, unified the Democrats. I say that's a good thing. 
and uh, uh, the Democrats have to be united as they go forward. And so they did the vote yesterday, and here are some of the key quotes. The House voted on Tuesday to condemn as racist President Trump's attacks against four congressmen of color, but only after the debate over the president's language devolved into a bitterly partisan brawl that showcased deep rifts over race, ethnicity, and political ideology in the age of Trump. Here is a a big quote from John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis, Democrat of Georgia, quote, I know racism when I see it. I know racism when I feel it. And at the highest level of government, there's no room for racism. Donald, uh, John Trump, uh, John Trump, John Lewis, of course, uh, was uh, an icon of the civil rights movement who was nearly beaten to death in Alabama in 1965, crossing the bridge in Selma. Uh, Republicans were just as adamant in their defense of Trump. Quote, what has really happened here is that the president and his supporters have been forced to endure months of allegations of racism, said Representative Dan Moiser, Republican of Pennsylvania. That's ridiculous slander. Does a disservice to our country. And then he wiped away his little crocodile tears, D, as he said that. You're calling him a racist. He is a racist. (laughs) All right. I mean, we go back to your country. One more time, folks. I pointed this out yesterday. Uh, one of the uh, Congress uh, women that uh, Trump has been condemning is Anyetta, uh, Anyetta uh, Presley from Boston. But she grew up in Chicago, D. And she went to Francis Parker High School, as I pointed out, uh, which uh, makes her a colonel. All right? The colonels oh, of Francis yeah. Parker for 10 trivia points. What's Latin's... Uh, <laughs> Nay, they've had that big basketball game, Francis Parker against Latin. You said it yesterday. Yeah, the Romans. Oh, man. The Romans. Yeah, I thought I thought the drugs they gave you at the dentist's office may have helped you a little bit with your memory. Anyway, give me quizzes. If she's going to go back to her country, she's going back to the corner of Clark and Belden. Right there on the north side of Chicago. So it was a ridiculous comment made by Donald Trump. Clearly an attempt uh, to fire up his base and uh, put AOC's head on the neck of the Democrats, much like our old friend Bruce Rauner tried uh, to do <laughs> uh, huh? Someone with my name. Madigan. Uh. I remember putting Michael Madigan's head on uh, Pritzker's neck. Remember that one? Didn't work too well. And uh, On these poor 2020 Democratic candidates, they're just like gone in the news now. Oh, they are gone, but they'll be back. Hold on. I'm feeling the wind shifting. Remember uh. I was pessimistic? You saw the dark side uh. of my brain? Yeah, yeah. Now here's the bright side. It's not going to work because the American people are too smart to fall for it. All right? They're too smart, D. Hey, Just, Ben. Yeah? Way to look on the bright side of things. <laughs> Is that the bright size music? Yeah. Look on the bright side of the... Da. Don't say. Da, da. That's uh, Monty Python. Anyway, uh, that was the vote that went down yesterday, and the Democrats stood together. Meanwhile, no sooner had that vote gone down, D., then uh, Thomas Friedman, columnist for the New York Times. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah, I'm going to be talking to Monroe. Oh, my God. And Atiba about this was nervous and scared, much like the dark side of my brain. Here's the here's the lead in his uh, column he wrote today. I'm struck at how many people have come up to me recently and said, quote, Trump will be reelected, won't he? And in each case, when I drilled down to ask why, I bumped into the Democratic presidential debates in June. I think of a lot of Americans were shocked by some of the things they heard there. I was. I was so shocked that so many candidates in the party whose nominee I was proposing uh, to support 
want to get rid of the private health insurance covering some 250 million Americans and have Medicare for all instead. I think we should strengthen Obamacare and eventually add a public option. All right, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. More of the same from uh, centrists in the, in the New York Times. Very afraid that Donald Trump uh, will win because somehow or other, everything that the Democrats uh, stand for, all like the values of fairness and the, and the fight against inequity and helping people pay for college and making sure that health care is a right that everybody gets, somehow or other that gets very scary and frightening when you move to uh, enact it with laws and rules so you always have to move away from your values and your goals sort of like dilute them scared he's very scared turn that frown upside down buddy come on it's gonna be okay it's freedman so yeah you're all right i know and i'm watch i'm waiting for the next column where they say distance yourself from aoc she's too scary swing voters in michigan and wisconsin don't like her distance yourself oh my beloved democratic uh, party yesterday they were united with nancy pelosi today they're scared what's tomorrow Tomorrow, your tooth will be healed. Oh, okay. It's not a tooth. It's a canal. All right. Did so, they sell a boat through it? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Root canal jokes today on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, no, I, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said something on Twitter today I'd like to bring to your attention, oh, Ben. It's a very wow. interesting point. She says, the good news in getting Trump to explicitly vocalize his racism instead of hiding it behind vague suggestions is that his words can be used by courts as evidence of his motivation, a.k.a. his tweets may be used to dismantle his own immigration policies she just said that that was on twitter oh very good yes i agree with that one listen uh the the fact of the matter is is that the problem with being dealing with donald trump is that he's a constantly moving shifting target we talk about this all the time he'll say one thing today something else the next day fire us up the the third day uh it doesn't seem as like he's held accountable the way ordinary politicians are he doesn't have to play by the same rule book as ordinary politicians Uh, that's one of the frustrating things and uh, what Friedman and a centrist uh, are saying is that the Democrats should return to like an Obama style candidate who uh, speaks a, a message of unity D now it's funny he that didn't work out so much in 2016, as I recall. It was almost as like uh, Trump ran against the Obama legacy has been running against Obama ever since. But Thomas Friedman says that'll work. Interesting to see uh, what our guests have to say about that one. Uh, whether uh, this country is still capable of listening to a person who talks about healing and, and unity in the face of Donald Trump bellowing and shrieking in our face about how uh, uh, some of us should go back to where we came from, even if we came from the corner of Clark and Belden on the north side of Chicago. All right, everybody. So that's story number one. We're doing Ben's top three national stories because I... Had a root canal today, and I didn't have time to write any news. So, number one was the Democratic congressman have passed a resolution condemning our president, Trump, as a racist. It is time now for number two. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Donald Trump may have a Republican presidential challenger, and no, it is not this guy. Yay for our teacher! Yay for our teacher! Former Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner. In fact, his name is Mark Sanford of South Carolina. Yeah, Mark Sanford of South Carolina uh, is talking. I think he announced that he's actually going to run against Trump. Uh, There are now two people in the race running against Trump for 10 trivia points, Dennis. Who is the second Republican (laughs) running against? Ice Cube. Wow! His name is... Uh, Representative Root Canal. Uh, he's oh, from he's Alaska. got a million of them. 
Please don't tune out, guys. Uh, anyway, Mark Sanford, if you recall, he is the congressman for South Carolina. Got in some kind of trouble where he, he was also governor uh, from South Carolina, and he had a, a mistress, and he remember he oh left boy. the country, and he Ugh. went to Argentina, uh, and oh. uh, Trump made a funny tweet about him, uh, mocking him for going, said the country was better off with him uh, going uh, to- Do the Trump voice. Uh, I I can't. <laughs> I could do Clinton. Uh, Donald Trump, good guy. How's that for Clinton? Uh, <laughs> your one good impression is really good. Oh, and that and Ken Davis of Chicago Newsroom. <laughs> no words, but yet still Mark a fantastic impression. Stan- anyway, uh, it's, uh, Sanford is running against Trump. And uh, I know Atiba's going to say this because he said this before. Uh, anytime... What is this now? Anyone who's been uh, seriously challenged in a primary, any incumbent president seriously challenged in a primary has lost. So we'll see how strong Weld and Sanford can come at uh, uh, Trump in the Republican primary. Right now, it looks like it, it, it seems absolutely impossible to think they could get more than a fraction of vote and that anyone will pay attention to them. But you know what? As long as someone's running against them, it's better than not. Right, D? Yeah. So I'm looking on the bright side of things. Oh, look at you. Look at that's the way to look on the bright side. I'm looking on the bright side. Remember, I woke up this morning thanks to Bab sent me that Facebook message. I was paranoid. I thought the American people were going to fall prey to Donald Trump's hate. But now I'm looking on the bright side, D. That's a way to do it, Ben. Some of those pills that uh, you gave me from the root canal are really hitting home. Yeah, man. yeah. Cool. Feeling good. Yeah. All right. Story number three, right, D? Oh, nothing else you want to say about Mark Sanford? No, Sanford and Son. All right, so that was our story number two. Trump may have, and well, it looks like he does have a Republican challenger, uh, presidential challenger, Mark Sanford of South Carolina. It is time for the third story. Big voice guy, where are you at? Number three. Oh, yeah, thank you very much. Number three, the last of the Republican moderate liberals. Justice John Paul Stevens dies at age 99. Yes, just, uh, Justice John Paul Stevens died yesterday, and I urge everybody to uh, to read the obituaries about him. I, I have the one open in front of the uh, in front of me here from the New York, uh, excuse me, from the Chicago Sun Times. Mark Sherman and Connie Cass from Associated Press. And uh, let me just read this part here. This man was a Republican. Okay, John Paul Stevens. Uh, he was a Supreme Court justice. He was a Republican. Uh, here's a quote: During nearly 35 years in the court, Stevens stood. For the freedom and dignity of individuals, be they students or immigrants or prisoners. He acted to limit the death penalty, squelch official prayer in schools, establish gay rights, promote racial equality, and preserve legal abortion. He protected the rights of crime suspects and illegal immigrants facing deportation. That, my friends, does not sound like any Republican I know of anywhere in the United States today. He is definitely... The last of a breed of Republican that has just been destroyed by the Trump revolution. And uh, I'm thinking uh, of two people who were on our show, D, about a month ago on one of our bonuses, uh, Marcy Love and D. Bobian, uh, Republicans from the suburbs that came on and talked about the Republican Party that they had joined uh, back in the 60s and the 70s. And uh, they were like Gerald Ford Republicans. And uh, Stevens is part and parcel of that, that sort of core moderate Republican um, from the 60s and 70s. I remember a lot of them when I was coming up. Uh, and he said this in an interview with the New York Times. I don't think of myself as a liberal at all. I think I think as 
part of my general politics, I'm pretty darn conservative. Well, conservative uh, in his definition is uh, not conservative uh, anymore by our current definitions. Uh, President Richard Nixon appointed Stevens, a lifelong Republican, to the federal appeals court in Chicago. Judge Stevens was considered a a moderate conservative when Gerald Ford, whose nominee would need the approval of a Democratic-controlled Senate, chose him for the Supreme Court. He won unanimous confirmation. How about that? Unanimous confirmation. Uh, You don't see that anymore with Supreme Court nominees. His liberal bent once on the high court was, quote, different than I envisioned, Ford acknowledged decades later, but he still supported and praised him as a very good legal scholar. In other words, even though he disagreed uh, with some of his rulings, uh, Ford said uh, he still said it was a good pick, which is something completely different than you see uh, today, where everything is, if if you rule against them, then you're like the enemy of the state, uh, and uh, you should be uh, kicked off the court. That's sort of the attitude that the Republicans have these days. By the way, uh, he was from Chicago, and uh, he grew up on the north side. He went to, uh, excuse me, grew up in Hyde Park, went to the lab school, and he claimed that he was at Wrigley Field in 1932 as a young man when Babe Ruth, playing in the World Series for the New York Yankees, predicted that he was going to hit a home run and pointed to the stands. It's a favorite moment uh, in uh, baseball lore. I'm just going to say this now, no uh, disrespect, Justice John Paul Stevens having a hard time believing you were actually there for that one. That sounds like, I don't know, one of those, yeah, I was there when Babe Ruth pointed yeah. at the stand. He was pointing at me. Yeah, it's sort of like Dennis claiming that he was at Woodstock. Uh, Dennis goes around saying he was at Woodstock, even though he wasn't even born when Woodstock happened. Uh, but anyway, small point, small point. All right, and a little update here on that story, by the way. President Trump has ordered flags to be flown at half-staff in honor of former Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens. Wow. I, did you think Trump actually did that, or did somebody like in the White House do that? And Trump's like, what are you doing? The guy's a commie. Uh, but anyway, I just want to read this one quote uh, from his ruling in the uh, 2000 case. He wrote a scathing dissent in Bush versus Gore, the 2000 case that ended Florida's presidential re- uh, recount and anointed George W. Bush. Quote, although we may never know with complete certainty the identity of the winner of this year's presidential election, the identity of the loser is perfectly clear. It is the nation's confidence in the judge as an impartial guardian of the rule of law. Telling it like it is, Justice John Paul Stevens, may you rest in peace, last of a breed of Republicans, Steve. Now, of course, it will keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along, but people, we're moving on. And coming up after this short little break, we're going to find out what's going on locally. We're going to find out what else is news. So don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, brought to you by Dental Jokes. <laughs> Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey, our friends at the Chicago Sun-Times are offering you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Unlock every feature, video, and podcast, just like this show, The Ben Jarofsky Show, by signing up now for a digital subscription. For a limited time only, you can test out digital access for only $1. Seriously, $1. Yeah, the price of a McChicken. 
There's no reason to not give it a shot. Stay up to date on breaking stories. Get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters. Cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city. And go deep inside City Hall with best in-class political reporting. $1 for your first month, people. I repeat, $1 for your first month. You can't do better than that. Now back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times, and uh, Dennis is playing in pain today, folks. Uh, what an effort by this young man from Alton, <laughs> Illinois. Uh, he had root canal surgery done about... Never fun. Those are never fun. About two hours ago. Yeah. And uh, they have pumped his body with so many, so much medication <laughs> that when he came in, he was like, one pill makes you taller, yeah, and one pill, hey man, what is it is. All right, looks like we got uh, dental <laughs> jokes on the YouTube live stream chat going on right now. Shout out to our good friend Johnny Joe. Johnny Joe, up top. What's up, Johnny Joe? Johnny says, why did the deer need braces? <laughs> I Tell us, Ben, why did the deer need braces? To get the other side of the road? Oh, no, because he had buck teeth. Oh, so Johnny O. <laughs> and uh, one more from Johnny Joe. Catch him at Zany's this weekend. Why did the golfer go to the dentist? Uh, Come on, this is an easy one. Why did it get four? I don't know. Four. <laughs> no, he had a hole in one. Everybody, send us your best <laughs> dental jokes. That's what we're doing today. And I'll just go ahead and get this one out of the way. What's the dentist's favorite time? Tooth hurdy. Okay, so bring them on, everybody. All right, let's talk about the local news here. Uh, ben has some stories he'd like to talk about. Right. We're not going to do the number one, number two, number three thing again. The first, uh, Ben, you have uh, Alligator uh, Bob update. Is well, that let me right? Just say this about the gator thing we talked about this before we, we talked, talked about this the last we time. ran this one to the ground and you know uh the gator was captured we talked about that yesterday uh in uh humble park and they brought in this gentleman frank robb from florida and he's an alligator catching expert apparently this is how he makes a living uh i'm looking at a picture of him right now in the newspaper he looks like a hipster uh he looks a little bit like uh, uh jake arietta used to pitch for the cubs uh, and he looks like someone in that rock group I, whose name I can't remember right now, but they're all a bunch of hipster-looking guy with beers. Uh, Mumford. Something Mumford. Mumford and Sons. Yes, Mumford. Something. I saw them in the Grammys. Mumford ones. and Sons. All right. Oh, look at it's Mr. Something Mumford. Look at Mr. Root Canal. Paint kill, pills wearing off. Uh, it's <laughs> Mumford and Sons, Ben. I happen to know this. It's trying to help you sound cool, dude. Uh, anyway, uh, so he, looks, he actually does look like Jake Arrieta. He's holding the alligator here. And everybody's rejoicing. Oh, they're calling him a genius. Uh, uh, and uh, the, the Sun-Times article uh, says this. Everybody's got a different blessing. So this is my blessing. Uh, what's his name? Frank Robb said a task, a volunteer. With Two first names, by the way. Yes. Uh, and then they kind of like stick the needle in old Alligator Bob. Alligator Bob cannot get the job done in preceding days with baited traps. Oh, man, you don't have to throw him under the Come bus. On. God, we are a city of front runners, dude. Oh, hell, man, that's rude. Why are you saying that about me? My alligator Bob impression. Oh, man, I'll tell you what, that alligator Bob impression is even better when you're on all I'll tell you what, man. bending drugs. Man, I almost, I almost had it, man. I just needed one more day. Yeah, one more day, man. They, they kicked they, me out. They kicked him out. They said, all right, get out of here. So anyway, and not so for, you know, uh, alligator Frank or alligator Rob or whatever he is, they you know he gets to throw out the uh, He's a bit. professional. He's Frank Rob. The, uh, what was, I forgot his name. The, uh. He had a, a title. Alligator Bobby. Oh, he's an alligator expert. He well, runs a business. Frank okay. Rob, there was a name for it, though. 
Uh, I'll look it up. Alligator catcher. That's the name for it. Uh, anyway, got the gator. The gator story is officially over. And I'm just saying, Alligator Bob, I appreciate you. Uh, and uh, you know what, D? They turned on him, though. That's how we are in the city of yep. Chicago, man. We are a bunch of front runners in this town. I'll reach out and try to get him on the show. Yeah, but only if he tells us his last name. Come on, Alligator Bob. Uh, and uh, anyway, there's a ton of uh, local news as well having to do with campaign contributions. Got Monroe sitting here. We're going to bring him on. But I just want to say this about the campaign contributions. Lori Lightfoot is no joke. She is on a roll. Let me see what how much she has raised. Lori Lightfoot raised nearly $2.7 million in the months since being elected Chicago's mayor and has nearly $2 million in the bank to help push her, re, her reform agenda campaign. I love that, man. She, that, Lori Lightfoot couldn't have written a be, better sentence herself. She's got $2 million in the bank to push her reform agenda. She's reforming Rahm, who also ran as a reformer, who's reforming Daly, who also ran as a reformer. Man, all this reform in the city of Chicago, D. Everybody's paying for it. It's funny how we keep reforming the city of Chicago and it never gets reformed. Uh, many of the same con- contributors who gave to Rom are kicking in to, uh, to Lori Lightfoot, Michael Sachs, Richard Melman. I see these names, uh, Lester Crown, giving it to Lori Lightfoot. They gave to Rom. I guess that's just the price of doing business in the city of Chicago. You make a contribution to the, uh, the mayor of the city uh, and uh, then everybody rallies around the mayor and, uh, oh, my God, this is the mayor. We have to reelect the mayor and reelect him and reelect him. Some things never change in the city of Chicago. Uh, I do. We, we talked about this yesterday. What Rob did with some of the money he had left over D. Uh, I love this paragraph. This is in the Tribune. Former Mayor Rahm Emanuel spent big uh, on donations to charities before he left office, but also on events at glittering Chicago night spots, racking up tabs for catering, valet services, venues, party planners, and musicians totaling approximately $450,000. All right? Oh. He was partying like a rock star, Mayor Ron, with the campaign contributions that people got, uh, gave him, figuring that he was going to run for a third term. And of course, he saw the polls and he's like somebody swimming in the uh, uh, Humble Park Lagoon seeing that alligator. Uh uh-uh. uh. He turned around and went the other way. So Mayor Rahm leaves and uh, still has some money left, D. He's got $94,000, oh, man. Oh, man. 90. I cannot relate. <laughs> I have 94 cents. $94,000 left over. He spent $450,000 parting like a rock star. Wow. He still has $94,000. He can run for alderman. He can run for alderman, Monroe Anderson says. Monroe will happily vote for Monroe, did you vote for him in 2015? I can't remember. New. Okay, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy that's the case. You didn't fall for that uh, phony baloney uh, f- sweater he put on. Remember the sweater? I'm the nice. Oh yeah, no, I, I, at the time I was writing for the Chicago Defender, so I wrote not very nice things about him. Yeah, and he feels the same way about you. Anyway, D. <laughs> That is the local news. We've got Monroe Anderson sitting here. We're going to bring him on. Uh, but you know what they say, D? What? Do you know what Alligator Bob, Alligator Rob, and that gator all agree? You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take some pills to help you with that pain. We'll be right back after this. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. 
Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago Land Cremation Options.com. Today's Ben Jaromsky show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Hey. Playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. We are live in the studio at the Chicago Sun-Times. Monroe Anderson has joined us. He joins us every Wednesday. Uh, what do we call it? Midweek with Monroe? Midweek Monday. <laughs> Midweek I mean, mid- Monday? <laughs> huh? Sounds like you've been taking some of those pain pills that Doc gave me. I was just checking to see if you, if you oh, had had any also. That's good. Yeah, that's good, man. It's Monroe yeah. Midweek. Remember, it was Monroe Monday. Yeah, I love Monroe Monday. Yeah. But whatever. Okay. Uh, well, we could say it's Monroe Monday on Midweek. Okay. That's what we'll say. A lot of M's there. Look. Right. Uh, One thing's for certain, Monroe and I have been having this conversation for over two years now, and uh, Monroe has been steadily, consistently uh, predicting that Donald John Trump will not be in office in 2020. At some points, he said he would leave. At other points, he said he'd be, like, uh, impeached. Wasn't there a 4th of July prediction in there somewhere or other that I I may have forgotten? Uh, um, What? Um, 11 days past, six, uh, 15 days past. So. Yeah, you, you okay. lost on that one. Right. But now it's a Labor Day thing going. At, uh, out of office. Didn't you say he would be out of office by the 4th of July? Did you say that? Wasn't it out no, of office? impeached. Oh, impeached. Okay. Anyway. And, and, that is, and by the by Labor Day, that could happen. Uh, all right. So it seems as though many of your compatriots of the anti-Trump uh, persuasion, their knees are knocking, Monroe, right now. You hear that sound? Yeah, I, I know. That's knees knocking. Okay. They're so scared right now. Thomas Friedman wrote a column today that sort of summarizes, it was in the New York Times, a lot of feelings of a lot of Dems, centrists, etc. They're 
so scared yeah. Yeah, that the I Democratic know. Party is moving left. They're so scared that Donald Trump has this brilliant plan in place and that all these little tweets are a part of it. And it's all part of this diabolical scheme that will inevitably sweep up all the swing voters in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan yeah. and Ohio and Florida. You know what I'm afraid of? What? Putin. <laughs> So, if, if we can keep Putin out of our elections this time, it's going to be last year, next year. Well, okay, first blue of all. Blue wave. Wow. Still sticking to that. I'm still sticking with it. All right. Well, let's talk about what went down the, in the weeks and the in the days, I should say, since you were last on the show, since last Wednesday, Donald Trump's tweets and his statements, they should go back to the country they came from, talking, yeah. of course, about uh, AOC and yeah. Omar right. uh, Presley. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it was classically racist. You know, during the civil rights movement, that's what they were chanting at the marchers. Go back to Africa. Um, it's been used on the Irish when they were, were an immigration group. It's been used on the Italians. It's been used on the Jews. I mean, it's typically um, ignorant Americans speak. Mm -hmm. Americans speak. The really funny thing about it is that I bet you 10 grand that um, Presley, AOC, and um, Tlaib's mm -hmm. American roots go back as, almost as far, well, well, as far as Trump's Tlaib maybe not, but definitely Presley and oh, AOC. Yeah. Their, their American roots are much deeper, go back much further than Trump's. So, Who, uh, Who's the immigrant in Trump's family? Was it his, his uh, grandfather? His, his, his grandfather, yeah. From Germany? Yeah. Um, Scotland. Oh, from Scotland. Yeah, okay. Scotland. All right. And uh, yeah, no, I said. Although he claimed he was from Germany, because I guess that was since they were they were neo Nazis. I mean, they were Nazis, not neo. They were they were they were the the original OGs. Uh, you're talking about Donald Trump's the family. Uh, uh, and uh, Presley, as I like to point out, is from Chicago. Uh, she went to Francis Parker High School, which is not far from where you live. Right. And, uh, and very pricey. Very it, pricey. It was, it was 25 grand when my kids were growing up. Uh, and uh, your kids did not go there, I should point no, out. No, uh, And But uh, she was a scholarship kid there. Uh, okay. Uh, and um, she graduated in 1992. So she's very much from Chicago. Yeah. Not from a country other than the one Trump occupies right. now. And, and my guess is that her ancestors were from Mississippi, not someplace. Some other country. Yeah, some other country. Yeah, Mississippi, which, by the way, will probably vote for Donald Trump. Uh, well, that'll be definitely one of the states that votes for Yeah, Donald of course. Um, so, but all not, right. But not, but not the, um, the, the, the black side. So, all right, I agree with you that the appeal he was making was racist. I agree with you that the appeal uh, he was making was bigoted. I agree with you that it is like a descendant of all these horrifically bigoted racist appeals that go back to the 19th century against some of the same people who are now uh, the descendants will be voting for Donald Trump. I right. agree with you on all of those things yes. that you just said. Yes. Uh, nonetheless, is it, is it or is it not an effective tactic uh, for Donald Trump to use? For his base, yes. For anyone else, no. And what's wrong with that strategy, but nobody, well, only the very delusional uh, accused Trump of being smart and strategic. 
But uh, as if he's playing some chess game or something like that, he's playing tic tac toe. <laughs> but anyway, it's not gonna. It's not doing him any good because he has a ninety six percent favorability among Republicans. So he's throwing red meat to them, and they're already growling and full and crazy. So it's not going to reach them. And what it's doing for the Democrats is upsetting them, making them more angry and assuring that when it's time to vote next November, next, November next year, that they will be out there and voting. And uh, what about the notion that um, what Donald Trump is successfully doing is sort of making AOC the symbol of the Democratic Party? Well, it's, it's a squad. The squad, it, the yeah, entire the squad. squad. Yeah. The entire squad mm-hmm. with her in the, as yeah. maybe the leader or something. Yeah. Like that. Oh, yeah. No, because he, he likes to have a foil, somebody that he can ta- attack and call names. And he was um, for last year during the midterms. It was Pelosi, and that dog didn't hunt. So, so now he's 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 got some new villains. Yeah, you know it, it is it is. Uh, I'm glad you you made that point uh, because I I recall you're absolutely correct. In 2017, I want to say it was when we we were in the first six months of Donald Trump's uh, presidency. Nancy Pelosi was the character, the figure that Trump and uh, his political uh, consultants would use to sort of terrify their base. And I could never understand that, uh, Monroe. I really could never. Well, they, she's the most conventional Democratic politician in the world. Well, they were also using Hillary. Yeah, they continue yeah, to they use continue, Hillary. You know, they, 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 they beat that, that mule to death. Hillary. They need a villain because they have nothing. I mean, they, except for the tax, um, the, the tax for the rich, right, what they call tax reform, and um, loading up the courts with a bunch of uh, white men bigots. Other than that, they've not accomplished anything. And they don't have a health care plan. They've been killing um, Obamacare <coughs> stroke by stroke, slash by slash, mm-hmm. but it's still there. And they don't have anything. They haven't killed it, and they don't have anything to replace it with. Um, the Me- Mexico still hasn't gotten around to paying for the wall. <laughs> In fact, the wall's not even started yet. Yeah, well, wall. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, NAFTA hasn't even been replaced yet. So all the, all the promises he made, um, big farmers still overpaying us. In fact, the prices have gone up, not down. So he hasn't accomplished anything, except he's he. So he's he's well. He he undid through executive order a lot of um, President Obama's progressive um, moves, mm-hmm. like uh, regulation and what have mm-hmm. you. So now we get to drink dirty water and breathe nasty air. Lucky us. So he hasn't done anything mm-hmm. and. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how is he supposed to, what are these people afraid of? How is he supposed to get elected? He still has 54% um, disapproval rates, rate rating. His highest he's gotten in approval ratings is 45, and that was a big deal, it was a week or so ago. So he's, he's still a very unpopular president. When they get around, 
to starting the impeachment inquiries. It's going to get worse for him because we're going to have all these fact witnesses on TV talking about all the horrible things he's done. Wasn't there a vote on the impeachment process today that I may have missed while it was coming? Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, they, they they were supposed to vote on it. Um, and they delayed that, did they not? Yeah, it's it's going to be table. You know, Nancy Nancy runs a tight ship, so she she gives them a little little line, but no. She so yesterday uh, they voted. This, this the resolution. is Green. This is Representative Green yeah. from um, Texas, Texas, mm-hmm. who has been dying to impeach him. Yeah, <laughs> he can't wait. Well, uh, by the way, you mentioned Obama, and um, w- one of the the cries I've been hearing from centrist Democrats is that we need a healer. We need a healer, uh, and they don't mention Obama, yeah. but they talk about we need someone who can heal the wounds. And, and that that's, that's, the, that's what Joe Biden is there for. <laughs> well, do you think this country's feeling like they need a healer? No, 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 no. We want to fight. We are literally right now, we are engaged in a racial cold war. And um, everybody's feeling it. You know, those of us who hate racism are, really, are anxious to take the races out in any way they can. And the racists are anxious to take us out. And so that's where we are, really. I mean, and that's what Trump didn't create the racial divide, the great racial divide that we have. But he, he exploits it all the time. And... Um, those of us who have experienced it and witnessed it are saying, okay, well, enough is enough. It's time to get it on. You know, it used to be dog whistling. Yeah. And um, <laughs> we, victims of racism, used to try to just say, well, if we're quiet about it, maybe it'll go away. You know, um, they tell us that we're in the post-racial <laughs> era. What's uh, Obama got elected? And it's, it's just... It, all, all the varmint from uh, all over the country started crawling from under the rocks, going, nigga, 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 nigga. <laughs> the words and opinions of Monroe Anderson are those of Monroe Anderson, uh, once again. Uh, Actually, it's, it's the, the deplorable, so I'm just quoting them. <laughs> uh, uh, Monroe, you said that uh, we're not looking for a healer, we're looking for a fight. I, I, I agree with, the, with that statement. I think that Democrats really do want to take it to Donald Trump, right? Uh, but at the same time, the Democrats need and, his, and, and, and all his um, followers, the Trump nuts, we want to take it to them too. I mean, uh, we you talk about the uh, the, the people that support the, Trump, the people that support Trump because they're because it's about race, yeah, and it's something that's never been addressed. Um, you had Reconstruction after slavery. Mm-hmm. And that got killed, and we got Jim Crow. You've had the Civil Rights Movement, and then um, that faded away when when Reagan got his hands on the country mm-hmm. and with the Southern strategy. And um, what's been happening since then is chipping away at a lot of the rights that we, we had mm-hmm. um, consciously by Republicans who went from Dixiecrats to Republicans. The people went from Dixiecrats to Republicans. And so we need to have a no holds barred racial discussion about what's, what's happening here and why it's happening 
talk, we, we talk about reparations. We can talk about um, all the various discriminations and the ways that the institutionalized racism and how it works, white privilege. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need to have that. And um, the only way we can have it is to have it. Yeah. Just hearing you uh, say that, I can I could just res- what would you think uh, Donald Trump would say in response to everything you just said? Um, I'm, I'm not fluent in um, <laughs> white supremacy talk, <laughs> so, <laughs> but it, it would be um, it'd probably be something like that's socialism. <laughs> he wouldn't deal with the racial issue head on with that as he's doing with the the squad right now. Yeah. You know, they're calling them communists and and socialists and this and that instead of just saying they're four black women. Who? How dare they criticize a white man? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Atiba Buchanan has entered the room. We're going to bring him on and uh, broaden the discussion a little bit. Uh, but this notion that uh, that you sort of dismiss at the start that we don't need a healer right now. Uh, we need a, a, a fighter. Well, I didn't say what we need. I said what we want. What we want. Yeah, That's I, I think it's impossible to have a healer right now. I mean, the, the, the tribalism is so extreme. Mm-hmm. And the emotions so raw that uh, a, a healer would get the living daylights beat out of him or her which in is, between the battle right yeah, now. They'd which, be in the middle of something that they didn't want to be in. Which is so bizarre, Monroe, considering where we were, what was it, 11 years ago right. with Obama. Right. With the, there's no uh, blue states, there's no red states. Well, that, was, that was o, 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 Obama's optimism. Yeah. Of 2004, that was yeah, the speech he right, gave exactly. at the Democratic Convention. And that was convention. his optimism. And because he was a child of an interracial um, union, and he grew up in a state where racism is not pronounced, you know, there may or may not be an undercurrent, I don't know. I've, I've, I, I'm still planning to go to Hawaii. I've not been there, so I don't know for sure. But it was not a an environment that most of us experience, black or white, in this country. Hawaii wasn't. And so because he had that background, that experience, he was able to have this confidence and this optimism. Right. And uh, which Donald Trump seems... uh, Donald Trump is Archie Bunker. He grew up in the same... Archie Bunker was located in Queens, the character. Yeah. And Donald um, Donald came up in Queens, and he has a Queens mentality. Uh, at Don, uh, Archie Bunker, of course, uh, had no college education. Donald Trump did go to college. Donald maybe, Trump maybe. was wealthy. <laughs> well, he did go. <laughs> maybe wait, the maybe is whether you know he actually studied or right, something, exactly. but he actually was enrolled in. Yeah, uh, right. He was enrolled, but nobody, as, as as he says of Obama, nobody remembers him. <laughs> nobody remembers him from being in college. Yeah, right. From, uh, from being in college. Yeah, the, but what I'm what I'm trying to say, there really is no excuse for Donald Trump. I think this is clearly. Uh, oh, no, there's an excuse. Trump's daddy was a uh, was going to Klan meetings. Um, he admired the Nazis, so he was a bigot, like father, like son, or the fruit doesn't fall from mm-hmm. the tree. You pick your cliche. Yeah. All right, Monroe Anderson is my guest. Uh, TV Buchanan's in the studio. We're going to bring him on and broaden the conversation with more uh, political talk when we return. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. 
and Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago Land Cremation Options.com. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter all right everybody hour number two of your ben jarofsky show for wednesday july 17th is just moments away but before we get into that we need to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and helping bring back our program first up it's the international association of machinist and aerospace workers local 126 and district 8 the international brotherhood of electrical workers local 9 and the international union of operating engineers local 150 a giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back our program and of course today's show was brought to you by the chicago federation of labor Hour number two, let's go. It is Wednesday, July 17th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Time, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we still got Monroe Anderson in studio co-host of Humanity in the Headlines, a team of you Canada's back, and we welcome political strategist Lori Glenn. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. A TV can has joined us. Monroe Anderson is still here. Lori Glenn will be here about 2.30. Lori Glenn knew uh, Nancy Pelosi back in the day, uh, California, and probably talk a little bit oh, about how that. how jealous are you? You love Nancy <laughs> Pelosi. Yeah, I do love Nancy Pelosi. Oh, I shouldn't make that confession. I'm going to get all my friends of the leftist persuasion mad at me all over again. I think she's a very capable uh, steward of the Democratic Party in Congress, and she has a very challenging uh, challenging job, but that is for certain. 
Um, but get Atiba's thoughts on this uh, as well. But uh, anyway, uh, Lori Glenn will be joining us uh, at 2.30. Uh, do you get an update for us before we uh, turn it back to Monroe and Atiba? Yeah, a few updates. First up, find us on uh, social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Uh, that's Facebook and Twitter. On Instagram, the Ben Jarofsky Show is where you can find us. The whole thing, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. A uh, few updates here. First up, uh, boy, we having a lot of jokes here today on the program. Dennis jokes because I had a root canal today but we also have other jokes here here we got a zinger from joe biden oh catch joe biden at the funny bone in washington dc <laughs> that's all i'm saying it says here a zinger from the former vice president in response to trump's claims that he quote doesn't have a racist bone in his body listen to this joke from biden if trump doesn't have a racist bone in his body that means he has no bones. <laughs> Joey B. Come on, man. That's not bad. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Uh, yeah, that's the only update I got there. All right. Uh, a TB Buchanan. Uh, I, I, Can I add to that for a second? Go ahead. Since we got jokes, because I, oh. I had this, I like to bring like at least one tweet that I think was either funny or profound. Mm-hmm. And this guy that I don't know, NATO989, I have to give credit. NATO989. He, he, he posed the question Did Melania come here on an Einstein visa? Or an Epstein visa. Oh, <laughs> da, 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 da. I'd say Atiba's uh, his uh, will be at Zany's, but uh, what is it? Nine oh nine. Is that the guy's name? Right, right. Nine oh nine. Atiba, the last time you were in the studio, I can't remember. I think we were talking about presidential candidates. Yeah. And uh, and then of course Donald Trump has a way of dominating the news. Got to get the, the the devil is due in that one. Uh, with his uh, go back comments, uh, telling the four congresswomen to go back. Your um, initial response when you heard that, what was that? Yeah, sure. I, so I wasn't surprised to hear him say it. The only thing that was that gave it any shock at all is that it's coming again from the office of the presidency, which he has absolutely no regard for. But that type of phrasing has been used for decades. Many people of color have heard it over and over again. Uh, it is usually something that is very, very dismissive and done without any thinking. And he, and he took it to a whole new level. So what I mean by that is, you know, they will say to any uh, person that appears to be Latina or, or Latino, go back to Mexico. And that person could conceivably be from Guatemala, you know, anywhere that isn't right. Mexico. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so they just use it very flippantly and without regarding. He, and he followed in that same tradition to tell three black uh, Americans, well, all four black American citizens and, and three black women who were born here mm-hmm. to go like, where, do you, where, where are they supposed to go back to? And that's that's what made it so confusing. But the fact that he said it did not surprise me at all. Um, that's that's the fact that he said it is why his core supporters like him, because he can say the things that they can't say without retribution, mm-hmm. because that's what they're that's what they all want to say. But they, but but if they say it, they go viral on social media. They get fired from their job. There's some type of you know punishment that they could see happening to them. He gets to say it. Not only does it validate them, but he gets to say it. It's what they're thinking, and nothing can happen to him because he's a president. And they love him for you know. Right. But but I am reminded of um, a, a joke that Richard Pryor told on his short-lived TV show. Mm-hmm. And where he was this witch doctor. Yeah. And this guy wanted to know where he was from. And so he, Richard Bright takes the, the bones and the chicken bones and throws them out. And he looks at them and reads them. And he says, You from Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Richard Pryor, we could use a little more. Right, today. exactly, right. Uh, well, Tiba, you just laid out what Trump did, and I've been asking uh, Monroe his thoughts on this. Get yours as well. How effective do you think it is? I, I, I know it's, it's uh, outrageous what he did, sure. uh, but how effective do you think it is? Um, I don't think it's particularly politically effective, if that's what you're asking. Yes. Okay, great. So um, his base is going to love it, but they're going to love anything that he says and does anyway. So I don't know how he particularly expands his base with that type of information or that type of posturing. Um, And he needs to expand in order to win, assuming that he's not cheating, assuming that it's a free and fair election. He's going to have to expand his base. Yeah. Um, so with that said, I think I think he's done nothing to help himself. Additionally, if we're being honest, Nancy Pelosi, in my opinion, kind of opened the door for Trump to kind of do this because she had been on the Congresswomen pretty hard mm-hmm. um, to the point that they even, you know, I, I, I won't use the word pull the race car, but they did mention race and they did feel like some of her attacks were at bare minimum racially insensitive or racially tone deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, they, he are, the Republicans were all, excuse me, the Democrats were already on the ropes in fighting. I don't know why he felt he needed to add to that um, because I, I, they say John Boehner had an expression, if your enemy is committing suicide, you don't shoot him. Yeah. And, and so that, <laughs> yeah. I, I, again, with, with that type of ideology, I don't understand why he would do that mm-hmm. because again, it, it was playing out for the world to see. There's a legitimate, although I think necessary fight within the, within the Democratic Party. I think that fight needs to be had out. So yeah, I, politically speaking, I, I don't know what he, what he gains because the people that love it, loved it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I agree 100%. And I'm guessing that like me, Atiba, uh, his knees aren't knocking. Worried about Trump. Well, we'll, we'll we'll get to that. The yeah. fatalism that uh, many yeah. uh, Democrats yeah. have been expressing over the last few days, and uh, I'll read you some of these comments from uh, Thomas Friedman's column, which, which is uh, full scale fatalism uh, presented by. Uh, and he's not alone. Many centrist columnists are saying the same thing. Uh, you said something though, Atiba. I'd like to follow up on, get your uh, expand on it, and get Monroe's thoughts. Uh, a legitimate fight within the Democratic Party. What did you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. So the squad uh, is, for, is from the, what I guess, what many are considering the far left progressive wing of the party. Nancy Pelosi representing what you would just describe as centrist, mm-hmm. um, the status quo, so to speak. And I think, you know, we, we, they have two different ideologies. Nancy Pelosi, people like her and Joe Biden are about incrementalism and in progressing incrementally. We're going to not get rid of Obamacare, we're just going to improve Obamacare. They're looking to be evolutionary, not revolutionary. Where you have uh, AOC, who is looking, again, and, and the squad, they're looking for revolutionary change. They're looking for immediate change, substantive change, and they're not willing to wait. So we have this, you know, so which way is the best way to go? Do we change incrementally or do we, you know, do we throw everything out wholesale and start from scratch? Yeah. And that, that conversation definitely needs to be had within the Democratic Party. Yeah, it's gen- and it's generational. Um, I'm from, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of the 60s. Yes, you are. And at that time, we were generate, we were revolutionary. Yes. I mean, that's, this is what we wanted. And then after that went away again, when when Reagan came and all that was killed. Yeah. Um, and I have been waiting, literally, for forty some years, for the revolution to start again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I am so amazed and proud of of the millennials who are yeah. doing this. You know, because I, you know, I, I, I went through, I was in the desert for 30 years um, 
in, in a situation where I was having to go along to get along or banging my head up against the wall and having to stop because it hurt so much. No, I, I'm with you, Monroe, and Monroe and I are cut from the same cloth. We're like two old guys, all right, uh, sitting around a restaurant talking about, hey, you should have seen it in the old days. <laughs> and uh, But I, I, I do appreciate what I saw was like this, uh, the forthrightness of millennials Atiba, they would make these declarations that people of our generation had stopped doing either because we just exactly. thought they wouldn't work or you're playing the game or, you or, know, or we uh, got tired, we got tired <laughs> yeah. or we just saw how, particularly in Chicago, there's just a conventional mindset in the city of Chicago about how you proceed and the way uh, you, you make your, uh, your complaints to the city or you make you address the city and you just kind of like go along and we kind of emerged a little bit with Karen Lewis, uh, the head of the Chicago Teachers Union mm -hmm. was sort of the first movement. Somebody said, no, we don't have to do it this way. People, their eyes woke up. And people like uh, uh, Monroe and myself, we're part of a generation uh, that really has... Um, I could use the jolt. I do believe that we could. Uh, we had become complacent. I think our generation. Uh, that said, you talk about a, a, a conversation that the Democrats have to say. A conversation uh, is different than a fight. And uh, when you talk about uh, centrists who want uh, incremental change, which uh, is slow and demands patience. Uh, or and you, you don't have any guarantee that they're going to give you what they want because usually that just means they'll string you along or people are demanding something right now. I don't know how you can have a conversation about those are two radically separate oh, things. Yeah, okay, now this is the thing is, um, during Vietnam, going back to that era, Ho Chi Minh was waging a war and sitting at the table having peace talks at the same time. The war helped the peace talks move along uh, with um, if, if you go back to the 60s mm -hmm. you had Malcolm X and you had Martin Luther King Malcolm was a lot more um, agreeable and therefore um, white people got to a point where they were pointing to him versus Malcolm because Malcolm was so extreme um, again in that era um, LBJ told MLK that you've got to make me do this for the civil rights mm -hmm. bill. That he needed that pressure from Dr. King so that he could push the civil rights bill through. Mm -hmm. Had he just come up with it with his own, we'd still be um, not voting. <laughs> so I, I think we need both at this point. We, we, we need the incrementalists but we need the revolutionaries to make whatever increments they come up with more palatable. Yes, I, I hear what you're saying. What Martin Luther King and, uh, was not a politician, he was not a political member of the Democratic Party uh, in the same way that AOC is a member of the same party uh, that uh, Nancy Pelosi is and whoever will be the nominee will be. And that, per, that party will have to speak with one voice as they head off to battle Donald Trump. So, for instance, yes, LBJ could... You'll get that when you get the nominee. nominee. Right. Yeah. You don't get it before the nominee. Once somebody is actually the nominee, then you'll get it. So are you are you confident, uh, Atiba, this is sort of your theory, which I'm, I'm seeing it. Are you confident that the Democrats can find a way uh, to take a, a party of revolutionaries and incrementalists 
and have them come with a common uh, speak with a common voice? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it can be done. Uh, we saw evidence of that in the 2018 midterms. So when we flip 40 seats, I mean, that's that's no small task. Um, so, again, that's you, you can't just sneeze at that. That is real substantive work that, that went behind that and a, and a lot of great strategy. So we got we got the pulse of the American people in that they wanted this Trump. They wanted this president Trump held accountable and they all and, and Democrats didn't run on that. They ran on issues, health care. And I think that's where I think that's where they get the most ground. If they could just change the framing, I, I would love to see them buy a bunch of billboards across the country and just say, healthcare is a right. That's it. We need to change that narrative. That's what, because again, when, once we establish then that healthcare is a right, now we can have more substantive conversations about how to make that, how to, how to make that into fruition, how to, how to make that right something you can feel, something that you can benefit from. But as long as we have Republicans able to frame it as taking away freedoms, or taking away your doctor and, and, and your insurance company and all this stuff. Yeah. And, they, and they try and make health care about personal responsibility. I made all the right decisions. Right. I shouldn't have to. When you, when you allow Republicans to have that type of framing nationally, mm-hmm. then that just makes your position now seem extreme when it really isn't. So if we can just help change the narrative, right. I, think that, I think that's something that would, that would help tremendously. And, and that's the value of the squad. Because yep. that's what they're doing. They're saying... It's a right. We should, we need this. We need this. They're on the fringes, the left fringe. So those who are more moderate can say, well, okay, maybe we don't want to go that far, but it changes the conversation. Just like he said, it, go, it goes from what the Republicans are talking about, which is tired and a retread. And, and, so, and these are new ideas. Yeah, I, listen. You guys don't need to convince me that we uh, <laughs> we have to blow up. Reach into the choir, I, I, yeah, right? Reach into the choir, uh, and uh, I, I just sense, I just sense that. Um, look, for instance, when when uh, when Roe, uh, when you you were you were talking about how it, it was successful, uh, the Democrats' uh, strategies were successful in 2018, and they were able to take back the house they flipped 40 seats uh i think you said atiba um yes many of those democrats were running to the right of where the democratic presidential nominees are now i followed those elections carefully and closely uh from your neck of the woods where where you, where you are uh, like uh, lauren underwood or peter roscombe uh these uh i mean sean casson who defeated peter roscombe these democrats were running as as centrists, and they were they weren't talking about uh, uh, Medicare for all. They were talking about expanding uh, health care, and they were speaking in in very like like to use your word incremental terms. And that was sort of the, the successful recipe uh, that the Democrats used to uh, take seats from Republicans. When it came to uh, internal Democratic primaries, where people like AOC were successful. That's where the more revolutionary yeah. rhetoric prevailed. Oh, okay. And so they didn't use the revolutionary rhetoric to flip a seat from Republican to Democrat. They used the revolutionary rhetoric to oust a Democratic incumbent and replace yeah. him or her with, with somebody who is with fresh blood who is more to the left. Uh, uh, so I'm not certain he, he I'm saying know. that prescription uh, that you guys just laid out will work. It will work, a, let me tell you, because go. there is one unifying factor, Trump. 
when 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 it's time to have the I mean one of the reasons those moderates and those forty um, sort of mid um, stream um, um, districts won was because it was an anti-Trump mm-hmm. vote as much as it was everything else, and that will that will be what's behind um, the unification of the Democratic Party. I don't care who out of the twenty they get, it's going to be anti-Trump. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, as I say this, having hearing you say that, I'm, I'm imagining a candidate, right? Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, as I hear you say that, Kamala Harris is just resonating in my head. I, th- I think, <laughs> I think uh, you know. Okay, well, I, I feel the same way, but uh, she I, is. I'm, and, I'm and, and I do too. You. However, uh huh. Uh, she hasn't been tested yet. No, that's and what and, and and when she was a prosecutor, yeah, she prosecuted. I, I think I've heard this int, um, hinted at. I haven't heard. I haven't. I haven't researched it. Mm-hmm. But she prosecuted some of the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter people. Mm-hmm. So she's and she wasn't that supportive of it. And so some of the millennials, Black millennials, might not be too happy with her. Well, I think. Again, given the choice, yeah, that's true. <laughs> the binary choice <laughs> yeah, between right. her and Trump, I think they'll they'll find their way. Yeah. And it, I, from what we can tell now, we don't have a Jill Stein entering the race yeah. yet. We don't have that dark horse that's going to steal two, three percent from the Democratic. Right. Mm-hmm. So we don't you know, if it's if, if it's just straight up Democrat versus Republican, if it's straight up us versus them. I think, honestly, this election in 2020, everybody comes on board. Yeah. We're not going to find the perfect candidate. They're not going to pass the purity test. And as Democrats, we'd be foolish to make whoever the candidate is to do that, including Joe Biden. I'm not a big Joe Biden fan, but if he is the nominee, then I'm getting in line. Yeah, because the stakes are too high, and I and I think most people will see it that way. Well, yeah, Atiba, I've been saying this for a long time. I the issue is Trump, and uh, you know we have so many people parade through the studio, and I always say we have people are basically the ideological lines of people come on my show. Uh, the right is Joe Biden, and the left is AOC, mm-hmm. all right? And that's kind of people that come through here. That's kind of where we are. And, and, and my, Bernie. Uh, yeah, Bernie. Okay, <laughs> Bernie. And uh, AOC's replaced Bernie in many ways. Uh, Bernie's really irritated about that, I'm sure. Uh, so, and I, I've always felt the one thing that unites them is Trump. Right. That the symbol of everything Trump represents right. unites them. And I heard that first debates, anytime anybody said, we're going to knock Trump out of office, the whole audience cheered. You get yeah, what I'm saying? Right. So I know what you're saying, uh, Monroe, about some uh, leftists who are critical of Kamala Harris. They come on this show and they tell me yeah. about her record as attorney general right. Right. when she was in, in California. Right. And I know they're not happy with they call her a cop. and a, It was yeah. much the same rhetoric that I heard against uh, Lori Lightfoot. Uh, but yeah. what I liked about Kamala Harris, and I'm curious, Atiba, why you said it, is like she showed me in that first debate in just a glimpse that she knows how to fight. Exactly. Which we had seen that, though, through any, many of the confirmation hearings. And, you know, so we had seen that side of her when, yeah. when, when she has to grill someone. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be the person that she's grilling. I really don't. So and I, and I think when you juxtapose that against the president. Um, who is again? Who who uses words like bigly, and and uh, or whatever that word no, was? That was that tweet, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So when when you when you 
compare her now and she is smart she is educated um she is prepared uh when you when you look at that i think i think and she's you know, tough and she's tough yeah i think the country is swinging on this pendulum we had barack obama who was measured in every way almost to a fault um and then we wanted something that was the complete and utter opposite. Yeah, don't say we. Uh, we I, mean, I mean, we collectively <laughs> oh, as, a, okay. as a nation. Okay. Wait, I saw you voting for Barack. Every time he was on a ballot, Monroe yeah. Anderson saw that name. <laughs> so the nation swung completely everything that was not Barack Obama. Yeah. And then now we're going to swing back. And I think, I think Kamala Harris is the perfect candidate, although she's not the only one. I w First of all, I would love to see a female president yeah. now. Yes. So uh, it, between her and Elizabeth Warren, I, I'd be com I'd be over the moon happy if either one of them got it. But I think and I think both of them have the charisma, the toughness and the policy chops to do it. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let me read to you these quotes from uh, Thomas Friedman. Get your thoughts on uh, what he had to say. And I'm glad that our next guest is in the studio listening. Uh, Lori Glenn's going to have to answer the Thomas Friedman questions herself. Thomas Friedman, of course, is a centrist columnist for the New York Times. Uh, and here's the headline. Trump will be reelected, re won't he? That's the headline. And here's what he wrote. I am struck at how many people have come up to me recently and said, quote, Trump will be reelected, won't he? End of quote. And in each case, when I drilled down to ask why, I bumped into the Democratic presidential debates in June. I think a lot of Americans were shocked by some of the things they heard there. I was. I was shocked that so many candidates in the party whose nominee I was planning to support want to get rid of the private health insurance covering some 250 million Americans and, quote, have a me Medicare for all instead. I think we should strengthen Obamacare and eventually add a public option. I was shocked that so many were ready to decriminalize illegal entry into our country. I think people should have to ring the doorbell before they enter my house or my country. I was shocked at all those hands raised in support of providing comprehensive comprehensive health coverage to undocumented immigrants. I think promises we've made to our fellow Americans should take priority, like to veterans in need of better health care. So I was surprised to hear so many people expressing fear that the racist, divisive, climate-changing, denying, woman-abusing jerk who is our president was going to get reelected and was even seeing his poll numbers rise. Dear Democrats, this is not complicated. Just nominate a decent, sane person, one committed to reunifying the country and creating more good jobs, a person who can gain the support of independents, moderate Republicans, and suburban women who abandoned Donald Trump in the midterms and thus swung the House of Representatives to the Democrats and could do the same for the president, and that candidate can win. Atiba Buchanan, your reaction. Oh, goodness, that's a lot to chew on. Um, let, let's just say fundamentally I kind of I disagree with much of what he said. In so much as when you look at the debates, um, what did he mention first? Uh, health care for yes, undocumented. Okay. Yeah. So first of all, we already have that because when they go to the emergency room, exactly. you don't you don't have to worry about whether you're documented or undocumented and taxpayers are paying for that. And it's more expensive that way. Exactly. So when we have a candidate that can articulate that it makes more fiscal sense to do what to do what they're proposing, I think the American people would be more receptive to that. But they have to they have to be able to 
to explain it. They need, we need a Bill Clinton. We need, we need the secretary of explaining stuff. Oh, please don't say that name. I'm not feeling Bill Clinton these no, days. I'm, 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 I mean, a Bill Clinton I understand type. what you're right. saying. You get what I'm saying. Not a so, philanderer who lies, right. but somebody who can articulate uh, complicated uh, situations. Here, here's a problem with Democrats. We just got one simple problem. Yes. We talk too much. <laughs> We do. You we, talk too much. You we, we make things overly complicated. Yeah. Right now, we're pulling our hair out because people are not as frustrated over the Mueller report as we'd like them to be. Why? Because it's, we made it too hard to digest. We told people to read it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's right. All right, all right. So, again, once well, we, once we, we get we, the movie next week, though. What, exactly. Yeah. Which should have been today. Right. Yeah. But once we, once we're able to do things like that, get Robert Mueller in front of people, and then exp- and give people the movie version yeah. of what happened, as opposed to asking them to read not the cliff notes but the book, yeah. um, and we get that simplified message out, I think we'll do a lot better. But I think once we once we're able to simplify our message as it pertains to healthcare, as it pertains to jobs, as it pertains to taxes, and we can show that the Trump administration, since he's been in, has done nothing but benefit his rich and wealthy friends. I, you know, again, I'm, I'm hopeful well, that, that okay. people will, yeah. will see the light. And I've made this point before, and I want to make it again. Trump won by filling an inside straight. He was very, very lucky. Mm-hmm. He won. He won the, the. He didn't win the popular vote. He lost it. And he, he, he right exactly. And he won the electoral college vote by. 80,000 votes split up between three Midwestern states, mm-hmm. none of which he's polling ahead in right now. So it's, 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 Putin's going to have to work overtime <laughs> to put it back in office this time. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Monroe. Putin's going to have to work overtime. Twice as hard. Uh, one of the, um, another point uh, that Friedman made in that, which I completely disagree with, uh, I find myself at odds with so many uh, moderate Democrats in this point, is that uh, Democrats... Uh, really love their private uh, health care plans. I'm still on search for the first, any, anybody in the world that would say, I love my private health care plan. Uh, Can I say something about that? Yeah. Because I think that, again, this is a generational thing. I think something like that would have been more applicable 25 years ago. I think it would have been applicable 30 years ago when people worked a job for their life. Yeah. But private health insurance is mostly tied to where you work right and people switch jobs like so let me ask how many uber drivers are there in the country right now right how many lyft drivers are there and where's their insurance right so many people are subcontracted they so many people are working two and three jobs they, they don't they don't care about their insurance they care about their doctor and, and not only that um, when when i was at cbs and had private insurance um and when i left there I went on my wife's insurance, Joyce, Joyce's insurance mm-hmm. at Chicago State University, which was an Illinois policy. Mm-hmm. It was so much better than my private insurance because <laughs> yeah. you know, those politicians took care of themselves. Yeah. You know? yep. <laughs> no, I, I listen, you are preaching to the choir, and uh, but I do note this fear and it, there's this fatalistic attitude. I've talked about this all that the Democrats have. And uh, they have just have this fear on this issue of health care. I, I don't buy it. I wish the Democrats, I'd, I appreciate Bernie for introducing this 
uh, and making this part of the conversation. But then you have people like Friedman who are pushing back, constantly pushing the Democrats back. And you were saying this at TV before you, at the break that Kamala Harris has re, uh, released her health care plan. Yes. I haven't had a chance to study it, but my, my guess is that she too is already just withdrawing a little bit. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So she's pushing the public option. She wants she wants to be she wants people to be able to have the option to get into Medicare if they want. Um, so she's looking again to evolve Obamacare to what it was originally designed to be in the first place, because um, the public option was supposed to be a part of it, right? Right. Now, if the Republicans had yes. sab- sabotaged it from right. day one, we would be there exactly. Right now, be, just because be, the way it would be improved naturally yeah, over ab- that time period. Absolutely. So her thing is so the, the question that she was posed. Um, by the interviewer repeatedly was how to pay for yeah. it. She didn't get into really deep, uh, granular specifics, but again, her, she did insist that it would consist, it would not consist of a middle class tax hike, and that you know she would be looking to different sources, certainly Wall Street, just and and corporations to pay their fair share in taxes, things like that. Thing, you know, just basically closing loopholes. And there is a lot of money to be had there uh, when you look at the corporations that don't pay taxes, when you look at the things that we could be uh, putting on Wall Street that we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so again. There's a lot of money to be had there, and and, and we won't even give. I mean, you know my opinion on, on Medicare for all, but again, that's that's basically her health. Well, plan. let's just talk about Kamala Harris just for a bit. Uh, the uh, jaded observer of politicians uh, in me, and that's a strong part of who I am. Yeah, been writing with this stuff for a long time. Uh, I'm recalling Kamala Harris on the debate floor was about two weeks ago when there was that general question asked. Uh, would you be for uh, uh, taking away uh, people's pub- private plans, replacing private plans mm-hmm. with a public option? Raise your hand. Don't say anything. And she was one of the three who raised her hands. Yeah. Uh, uh, and but then- that's not fair. That's, that wasn't the question. It was, it was um, would you not be in favor of it, but would you give up? your private no she said that's what she said the question was the way i phrased it i'll make that bet with you uh but she later claimed she misunderstood the question, she the question and yeah. she was uh okay, she was re- answering re- so rephrase your question so what it? i'm saying is yeah, she, right, pulled, she, a, said, she pulled a fast one okay now what, uh, did, you, what did you what did you what did you say no, the, the question, question was, was would you have repro- replace private plans with public plans in other words uh phase out Public, uh, private insurance plans and replace them with a public, uh, what just Medicare for all, yeah. everybody under the same plan. And that is this this like uh, wedge issue that the Democrats are facing that Trump's exploiting, that Thomas Friedman is so afraid of. Yeah. And that is because people will be afraid to give up something they know, their private plan, as bad as it may be, for something they don't know, a public plan, which they will demonize. And so the what I saw Kamala Harris do was pretty like a skillful political uh, one-two step. Was that the next day she said, "I didn't mean to raise my hand. I misunderstood the question, and I am not in favor of replace forcing people to give up their." Privilege. But she did raise an excellent point um, because she was she was pushed about that, and what she said was, "One of the smoothest transitions is basically when somebody retires and goes on to Medicare." So if you speak to enough of those people, I'm thinking of my mother now who retired about three years ago, they are ecstatic when they get onto Medicare and, and that transition is completely smooth. Mm-hmm. So she's yeah. saying it, it already works. It already works for American citizens and it's already something that, that most American citizens find as a positive. So it's just a matter again of, of messaging, explaining it, 
and getting Americans to understand that value. Yeah, if you recall, uh, when, o when Obama was running, one of the Republican senior citizens had a sign say, keep your dirty government hands off my Medicare. Yeah, yeah I remember that one. <laughs> Hold on, guys. Let me have a little more of that uh, Kamala uh, juice, uh, Kool-Aid mm -hmm. I'm drinking here. Mm. It's good. It tastes good. Kamala. <laughs> Kamala uh, Kool-Aid. Uh, well, uh, or, or you could have that cup of um, Trump snake oil. Yeah, no, no, I'll take the Kamala Kool-Aid uh, any day. All right. And uh, actually, for the record. It was Flavor Aid in Jonestown. Oh, it was Flavor Aid. Yes. Uh, thank you for that uh, clarification. Uh, all right. Uh, speaking of Bay Area people, again, Lori Glenn will be coming on really soon, our Bay Area expert. Um, all right. Now, uh, let's talk about uh, quote unquote border wars, uh, uh, Tiba. And that's something else that Thomas Friedman. Uh, position there in his column speaking i think for centrist democrats uh that the democrats have gone too far the democratic nominees have gone too far they're playing in the trump's hand when they talk about decriminalizing uh, people coming in across the border i am essentially emerged just completely disagree with them on that point that that's just me i could never get uh, elected to anything in this country uh but how what, what do you what's your take on that issue of uh, decriminalizing uh illegal immigrants sure i've <clears throat> There are certain things that need to be decriminalized because it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any, you can't, a person can't be illegal. And if the same way that you need to decriminalize marijuana, you need to decriminalize coming into the country illegally because first of all, most of the country is already there. You look at the polling, everybody wants comprehensive immigration reform. That doesn't mean that those people get to become citizens overnight. It means that we develop finally a process by which they can become citizens. They might have to pay fines. They might have to wait a decade or whatever, whatever the reasonable time frame is or whatever hurdle we want to make them jump through. But if we go ahead and we make clear rules that they can trust, then people will be willing to come out of the shadows and we can make it work. But when you look at how we reneged on DACA, mm -hmm. that those things hurt us because now people feel like they can't trust us. When you look at what we tried to do with the census question, those things hurt us because if they can't feel like they can trust the government, then they're going to continue to be in the shadows. The only way to get these people to come out is to give them something concrete that we actually stick by and, and adhere to. More importantly, um, Trump has created this crisis that we have mm -hmm. now. Um, these people are coming to seek asylum. And what, what he's done is narrow the passage that you have to, and the process you have to go through. So you have all this overcrowding, children are getting caged and what have you. He's taken the aid from the Central American companies, uh, countries that he was doing. So um, it makes the situation in their, their country worse. Mm. And um, because of the climate change that he and the Republicans deny, um, they can't farm anymore. Their, their, their land has dried up because of, uh, because of climate change. So they're starving to death. Mm -hmm. So they're taking these risks and coming here for very real reasons, not just to um, um, crash, crash our country, right. our party, anything like that. They're, they're coming here for survival. And the other thing that we don't talk about when we talk about the, the crisis there and, and America's hand in it is the number of weapons that we send to Central America. And that's something that's really not talked about a lot. Do you know how many gun stores there are in the entire country of Mexico? One. So where do these people get these, these guns from? 49% of the weapons found in Central America are smuggled from 
North America. Mm. Uh, these are the nuances, obviously, of a debate that'll come down to uh, Donald Trump saying they're evil, they're scary, uh, they're criminals, and they want to take your jobs. Uh, and some Democratic candidate, whoever that is, uh, trying to preach some version of tolerance. And uh, so, Atiba Monroe, uh, final question before we take the break. Uh, do you think tolerance can prevail over just hatred? in our country today? Um, yes. Do you, do you just want a yes or no answer? Or? Go a little more. Yeah. <clears throat> sure, no problem. Um, so ultimately, I think so. I think the, it needs to be a combination of fighting, but fighting with um, righteous indignation for, for helping people, for, be, for America living up to the values that it has proclaimed for a couple of centuries. We have to remind people of what America said it was and live up to those values, not what, not what Donald Trump and, and his ilk are trying to make America into. So again, we have to remind people what America is supposed to be and what we're supposed to be living up to. The jury's still out. This is the problem. 2045, this country will no longer be majority mm -hmm. white. And this is what's freaking white people out of all stripes, is that they are afraid that once it becomes something other than white, um, we're going to treat them like they've treated us. That is Monroe Anderson. He's here every Wednesday uh, talking uh, Trump, 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 and Trump. Atiba Buchanan, Atiba, uh, tell folks where they can follow you, your podcast, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So Humanity in the Headlines airs Saturdays on uh, intellectualradio.com. You can go to YouTube and pull up any episodes we have there. Just type Humanity in the Headlines, and you'll have dozens of shows come up. All of them are great. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on today. And uh, Atiba will be my guest. Uh, we're coming in two weeks. I can't wait for this. It's gonna mm -hmm. be, I am, I, everybody knows I'm really into this process of selecting a candidate to run against Trump. And the next debates will be the 30th and the 31st. And we got a panel, a great panel. Atiba, Davis Seaton, and Samina Mustafa will be in the studio. And they represent, I'd like to say, the party in all of its glory right. from... AOC and Bernie over to Joe Biden. Yep. And uh, it's going to be, I'm looking forward to that a lot, Atiba, having As you, David, and Samina. All right, very good. Monroe, every Wednesday, right here in the Ben Jarofsky Show, we got the great Lori Glenn sitting on deck, ready to come on. We'll bring her on when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. In people, it is incredible. Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. It's a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky show. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you. And go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at GreenElementResale.com. Green Element Resale, go save a bunch of money. 
Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, we are here live at the Chicago Sun-Times. We've got uh, Monroe Anderson and Tebow Buchanan leaving the studio. Lori Glenn coming into the studio. They're chit-chatting there, passing cards, talking uh, about the Bulls, et cetera, and so forth before, before we bring Lori on. Do you got an update for me? Uh, yeah. Find us on social media, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Um, it's fantastic. Uh Social media pages there, Facebook and Twitter, The Ben Jarofsky Show, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y on Instagram. Check us out. All right, very good. Lori Gunn, political strategist, is settling in. <laughs> She's going to uh, put her headphones on uh, right now, and I just want to remind all our listeners uh, that uh, Dr. D is doing an amazing job today. He had root canal surgery at about 11 o'clock this morning, mm-hmm. and uh, oh Dr. Larry Curley and Mo uh, were all the ones, all three of them. <laughs> were the ones uh, uh, who took that stick of dynamite and uh, put it in his uh, jaw. And all three of them took... My money. <laughs> money. Speaking of a healthcare situation that needs a, a change and improvement. So you're doing a really good job, young man, uh, even though the pills are just about now kicking in. You're seeing little lizards flying through the air. Oh, my God. Yeah, those pink lizards. Uh, it's an so alligator. It's an, al- it's an alligator. Right. What else here in the city of Chicago? Lori Glenn, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Ben. It's great to be here with you. And I know you heard uh, the tail end of our conversation with Atibu Buchanan and Monroe Anderson. We were talking about this pretty much all day. Is there any hope for the Democratic Party and to unseat uh, Donald Trump? I, I've been like, uh, one day I wake up really optimistic, Lori. I'm like, yeah, this is it. The, the American people are really been waiting for four years to undo the damage of 2016. And then the next day I wake up with this fatalistic feeling and this pessimism. And I read guys like Thomas Friedman uh, who's saying, oh my God, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. And I never, I turn to my guests every day in the studio and go, help me see the light and figure it out so what's your feeling on this subject well Maya Angelou actually said one of the most important things that you know I think is about winning or success it's not what you say to people it's how you make them feel and I think that the Democratic Party is not making people feel they're not thinking about what the people in America need, which is really a vision. And it's a vision that's embodied in the people in America. And we cannot be writing off middle America. Like, until we get rid of the Electoral College, which I don't think is happening anytime soon, like, all I care about is winning. Because, like, I just came from Europe. Yes, I Mm. did. (laughs) I just came from Brussels and the Brussels Forum, which is uh, run by the German Marshall Fund, which was created in 1971 uh, by the German government in light of the German Marshall Plan to enhance and encourage and increase democracy in the Western world, which... We're having a little problem now. <laughs> and people there yeah. felt like we were having a really big problem. <laughs> and I think that we can't deny that America is not a happy camper right now. And there are people in the middle of America and they don't have jobs. Okay? Like self respect. That is so bottom line. All the archetypal images of America, what is it about? It's about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. It's manifest destiny. I can do it. 
individualism, right? We're not a collectivity. That's why the people left Europe. They didn't want to be part of a communal lifestyle and they wanted to do their thing on their own away from government. So here we are with all these people. They don't have jobs. They have no, their, their education is horrible, really. So that they can't even get a job because they aren't well educated. And right now, America's high. And I don't mean happy high. I mean, they're opiate addicted. And they are millions of people in America right now. Now, you don't get addicted to opioids just because, you know, like, oh, your back hurts you. And yes, doctors and all those greedy doctors that encourage people to take the opioids, we hope they go to the seven center of hell, whatever. But the real issue is when people are so unhappy because they have no future. And the Democratic Party cannot look at those people like when Hillary Clinton said that very brilliant thing about what was it, you know, about all these people in America, they were horrible, the deplorables. Mm -hmm. Well, no, I'm sorry. Democracy is about the fact that we all have to live together from the left to the right. And democracy is based on pluralism. And you know when a good deal has been done when everybody's a little bit unhappy because you all had to compromise to live in this democracy. Now, I don't believe that the Democratic Party right now has a vision. And I believe that there is an enormous split going on, obviously, between the seniors in the party and I can say this because I am kind of senior now, <laughs> you're, you're, which is like such a drag. Yeah. I look great, I know, for my age. Like, of course, like <laughs> high five to Lori, but I am old <laughs> and it's getting older every yeah. day. Uh-huh. And my feeling is <laughs> yeah. that the people like Nancy Pelosi and others who I know and some of them I respect, it's time for them to let the younger generation make their own mistakes. Now, I do think they're making mistakes, which is, yeah, you can't like tell people that, you know, there are going to be people that disagree with you. Mm -hmm. So the art of being a politician is how do you get people to understand that you're listening to them and respect them, even though you disagree? Now, I am not a Joe Biden supporter. Mm And I understand that he is too old for this job. He just is. He can't do the job, I don't believe. And other people will be running the country, obviously, if Joe wins. Mm -hmm. But he does talk about something that people are kind of making fun of. And that is that he did live and work in a Senate where people disagreed with one another. Mm -hmm. And they did govern Now, the problem is, is we don't have people governing anymore. We just have people running for something constantly. And I don't see how you can actually run and govern a country when everything is about a soundbite. We saw when our former mayor was here, what that did to our city. Mm -hmm. And we see that Donald Trump, like the whole thing about going after immigrants, it's all about his campaign and mobilizing his base. It's like political consulting 101. (laughs) I mean, but what I don't see is the Democratic Party mobilizing their base, our base whatsoever. And I was in Europe and spoke to many people uh, in uh, 
Belgium, uh, Copenhagen, and around Sweden. Mm-hmm. And everyone came up to me and said, he's going to get reelected. Yeah. Like that Thomas Friedman. That's quote. right. He, they just said, he's getting, re-. he they didn't even ask me. They were kind of like, he's getting reelected. And they could all see that that was going to happen. So what's the reason, the fundamental reason why people are, are, are saying he's going to get reelected? Because you can see that there is no other adult in the room that's leading a vision, an alternate vision for this country. Mm-hmm. Like Angela Merkel, you like her, you don't. She is the only adult in the room in Europe. And when she leaves, oh my God, am I worried big time. So I'm not saying Nancy Pelosi's not an adult. She obviously is. And I don't think that she's doing a bad job, actually. I, I think she's got a hard job right now because she's got a lot of people who have a lot of energy and a lot of feelings because they've, you know, that they want to change the world. And frankly, you know, I look at my 35 year old self from my place now in my life and I go, I'd be laughing at myself because I see things so differently. And, but the truth is, is there needs to be someone who can emerge, who can make people feel like safe like Ronald Reagan did. Because when America's hurting, they're always looking for daddy. I'm sorry, it's a patriarchal society. So you think it has to be... Oh, I don't think it has to be a man uh, as a candidate. Mm -hmm. But I think you got to start making people feel like you're not just against something. You got to find a place for people that they can be for something. Mm -hmm. And mostly, people need jobs. People need a pathway for their life. This is the first generation who will not do better than their parents. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. I don't have kids, but I would be insane. There are kids, they're staying at home, not even because they want to. They have no choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lori, uh, you got your start, I think, are, uh, in the Bay Area. You were a political strategist, uh, worked in campaigns for the Democratic Party back in the day. Uh, and you knew Nancy Pelosi back then. Talk a little bit about Nancy Pelosi's style uh, and the context of the San Francisco Democratic political community that she comes from. Yes, Nancy and I had an interesting relationship because I was, a, at that time, a political consultant running electoral campaigns. I was in my 20s, and actually I was winning a lot, which made me an absolutely terrible person. <laughs> Because <laughs> I would just do anything <laughs> to, to win. win. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> you were cut from that rom cloth. Huh? Uh, that's when he and I were friends. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and Nancy actually helped a lot of my candidates and helped me because I was a little rising star in that world of running a, electoral campaigns. And I elected a lot of women candidates. I elected... You see, that the old me is coming out. Yeah, I elected. Oh, my God. Lori what Glenn. a jerk. That's right. Oh, my God. It's so horrible. It's, okay. it's like, it's right. have, some have water. to see my therapist later. So <laughs> it's like. Uh, <laughs> Just think if this is your therapy <laughs> session, session starting like, early. Oh, right? my God. Dr. Leo so, over there. But like Peggy Hora, first woman judge in Alameda County. Mm-hmm. I'm still in touch with. So proud of. We elected her together with many other people. The voters elected, right, my dad. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, them. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Silly them. But, um, so, but anyway, Nancy did uh, support my candidates. <clears throat> but I had a client, and his name was Harry Britt. And Harry Britt was a San Francisco supervisor who was a socialist. And he actually replaced uh, 
tragically, Harvey Milk, when Harvey was murdered uh, by Dan White and his Twinkie defense. <clears throat> anyway, um, and Harry ran for Congress against Nancy. And at the time, I was the political action chair of the National Women's Political Caucus of San Francisco. <clears throat> and the last thing I did before I left San Francisco to return to Chicago was to get the National Women's Political Caucus to endorse uh, Harry Britt over Nancy Pelosi. Oh, so Nancy must love you. like. <clears throat> so uh, I got up on the floor of the caucus and said that feminism was not about being a woman. It was a philosophy and that Harry was more of a feminist than Nancy and that she was a bag woman for the Burtons who were the machine in Sh San Francisco at the time. Uh -huh. And because Nancy's an incredible fundraiser. Yeah. And, um, People believed me and they voted <laughs> for Harry. You were say, like AOC of your time. At least yeah. uh, the National National Women's Political Caucus was very unhappy with me. But uh, Nancy did something amazing. And this says a lot about her. I've never seen her again, but she, now I'm 28 at the time, and she sidles up to me afterwards, we're in line for some food. And she goes, and I'm like, oh my God. And she goes, well, Lori, I never knew you felt those things about me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just can't believe I have to, I'm like going to die here. And she goes, but I want you to know I forgive you. And I was like, whoa. Now, why did she forgive me? Because she knew that one day maybe she'd want me to do a hit on someone <laughs> that she was against. And she would bring me to the table to go after that person. So she was tactical. She is incredibly uh, relational and understanding power. Like Nancy Pelosi is brilliant at understanding power. But you know what's the hard thing about power is it's really, really hard to give it up. And it's really hard to know when it's time to give it up. It's like leaving a party. You know, do you leave when it's like you're still having a good time or when you're like wasted and you're throwing up in the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, the Democratic Party is kind of in the toilet. And I say, you know what? Let these kids, quote unquote, and they're not kids, let them run the show. And I think that America would get a whole lot more excited about what's going on. I mean... I like Bernie Sanders. I, in fact, have an email from him because when I worked with Chewy Garcia and the congressional race, Bernie actually does his own stuff. So I think I may have shared this story before, but he actually, we, he endorsed Chewy. And so Chewy said, okay, you know, we're going to do a press release. We wanted to do a release on it. And I thought I'd get a staffer and I get Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I said, email from Bernie. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like he's copied Chewy copies me on an email with Bernie. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so he's like, great statement. I mean, he, he writes just like he talks. Yeah. Good luck, Bernie. You know, I'm like, oh, this is great. But what letterhead do I use? Yeah. And I'm like, what do I do? Do I email Bernie Sanders? Yeah. So which letterhead should I put this on? And I'm like, no. And then I go, okay. I sent him an email, so what letterhead, Bernie? And he goes, just make sure you use the campaign letterhead. Don't use the you know, Senate letterhead. Wait, Lord, Bernie. is that your Bernie imitation? Yeah, it is. It's actually I think not it's a pretty bad good. Bernie. I that think is so. not bad, huh? But they actually, you know, 
they really took Bernie out. He could have won last time. He's not going to win this time. So you're saying it's, uh, are you saying the moral of all this is that Nancy Pelosi should step down? I say that she should allow the younger leaders to rise up. And so you thought and it was not a good idea when she gave that interview to Maureen Dowd of the New York Times where she uh, was critical of the squad, as she called them, and dismissed them? Do you mean that she gave Trump all the fire he needed to do what he did? Is that what you're trying to say, Ben? Uh, I don't know if I would say exactly <laughs> that, but that's not a bad little spin. Explain what you mean by that. I'm just saying is that you're dealing with a madman. I mean, Donald Trump is brilliant. Why? Because he understands the underbelly of the American psyche. And he goes right there to your deepest, darkest fears, things that you're never supposed to say. And now he says things. And now even on TV, people say pussy. I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Really? I can't believe it. And what other words are you going to say now? Because the president of the United States says these things and the president is tweeting people at two in the morning. Now, the only thing that made me feel good at the Brussels forum was when the Supreme General of NATO spoke and someone, the 800 pound gorilla in this entire program was like Donald Trump. Well, the two, Donald Trump in one quarter and Putin in the other. And with Donald Trump, people finally say, so what do you do if the president tweets and basically says, you know, mass destruction? Mm -hmm. And the general, like, I never knew I would love our military so much. Like, they're protecting us from Donald Trump. He, He smiled and he just said, well, you know, in the army, we have a lot of rules. You know, in the army, we have regulations. We have bureaucracy and things just don't move that fast. So I'm like, thank you. Move really slowly. (laughs) But I got to say one other thing, and I'm going to tell you who I think should run for president. Should run? Yes. As opposed to who is in the race currently. Go ahead. And he spoke. I've seen him before. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is a man. Yes, he does happen to be white. But he also was the man that actually took down four statues of all the white supremacists, basically, in New Orleans. And that would be the former mayor of New Orleans, Mitch Landrieu. Mm -hmm. And Mitch Landrieu is amazing. And he is the kind of leader that I want to see run for president. And if I could, I'd recruit him. But he's not running for it. Well, who uh, knows? Maybe Mitch could be, he said to me, maybe not right now. It's not his time. But that is the kind of leader. Because why? Because this man, when he spoke, I felt like he could talk to me as a progressive. And I'm still a very radical progressive. You know, I can't seem to stop. And people get older, they get more right wing. And I keep getting more radical. (laughs) But that's life. But he spoke to me. And he spoke to like this conservative white woman in the room who said, I love you, Mitch. And I'm thinking, really, you love him and I love him. That's really awesome. And that's a great leader. Someone who can speak to all of us, that Mm. commonsensical down to earth language that gets back to the foundation of America's 
um, fantasies about itself because mm-hmm. <laughs> we have a lot of fantasies, yeah. but we need those fantasies and we need someone to help elevate us. And we don't have that right now. And I'm sorry. No, I didn't see, I admit I was working and then on vacation. So I well, didn't your assignment, see everything. Your assignment is to watch the next series of debates. Yes. And I'll just I'll tell everybody this. Uh, yes, the next person uh, who runs as a Democratic candidate for president has to be able to, what, speak to people and assure them and, uh, it, and, and articulate a vision, uh, even if it's not really specific, okay? because you But can, I'm saying it doesn't have to be specific. Right. Uh, it's, it, See, all the plans Elizabeth Warren has, and I love Elizabeth Warren, yeah. nobody's listening. Well, you know, you sound like Marion. You missed that part of the the debate where Marion Williamson, who uh, is running for president as well, uh, said that plans that don't get you elected president, I'm paraphrasing, and Donald Trump didn't have any plans. But I I guarantee you uh, that we are at a phase of the election, a very early phase, uh, where it's, it's, it's almost like they're positioning themselves to be the top five. And I always equate it to American Idol, the early phases of American Idol contest. They're positioning themselves to be the top five. And really, this is where we get a glimpse of whether a person... So like we were talking earlier, we get a glimpse of their strength. We saw a little glimpse of Kamala Harris. Oh, she can counterpunch. She's quick on her feet. I don't think she can get elected. I'm sorry. I don't think any of these people can get elected. Now, I want a pathway to winning. And I want to see the Democratic Party show me that. And I want to see these candidates stop talking to their base, which is not enough to win. I do not care about any of them. All I care about is that someone that that we beat Donald Trump? I hear you, but at and this stage, I don't of the, see it. At this stage of a campaign, Donald Trump at this stage in 2015 was just introducing himself to his base, and so you have to view where we are in in, in terms. But they're of the calendar. motivated, Ben. They are motivated. His base every day. No, I understand that, but I'm talking he's about feeding them. I, I I'm talking about. In other words, when you say the candidates are just speaking to their base at this at this phase of the campaign, I'm saying that Donald Trump was doing the same thing in 2015. We are at a very early phase is what I'm saying, and that uh, it, there's going to be a process of weeding out. And what I'm looking for when I look at these debates, when I watch these candidates, because you may want somebody else to come in, but I don't see them coming in. They always tell me that, Ben, you're waiting for Harold Washington to walk through that door. He's not coming that through that door. That would be very yeah. cool. Okay, that, well. Uh, I've got a great fan fantasy life uh and uh but uh give it a shot you, you, the debate next one is july 30th 31st Lori glenn in the studio we'll be right back after this when i was a little girl i remember singing the song this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine we've said it's time to bring in the light and it's sure shining on all of us tonight Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Thank you very much. God bless you all, and God bless Chicago. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. 
man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Loves that Jeff Manuel. All right. Our friends and co-hosts at the Chicago Sun-Times are offering you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all the stories that you love. Unlimited, guys. Unlock every feature, video, and podcast. Podcasts like the Ben Jarofsky Show by signing up now for a digital subscription. For a limited time only, you can test our or, or test out digital access for only $1. Seriously. One dollar. There is no reason to not give this a shot, okay? So stay up to date on breaking stories. Get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters. Cheer for the big game with the best sports team in the city and go deep inside City Hall with best in-class political reporting. One dollar, guys. One dollar. The price of a cheeseburger at some places. You really cannot do better than that. Chicago Sun-Times. Subscribe. I got to play the music. Hang tight. Here it is. Here we go. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right. Yes, indeed. That beautiful music means the end of a, another beautiful show. It's not quite done yet. And I just want to compliment our guest, Lori Glenn. Uh, not only did she know Nancy Pelosi back in the early days, uh, not only did she just fly in uh, from Europe, not only is she uh, an astute political strategist, uh, not only can she really tell a funny story, but she's one heck of a piano player. That's Lori Glenn on the piano there, ladies and gentlemen. All yeah. right. Uh, anyway, uh, Lori Glenn, I want you to listen to Leah. Uh, Leah, our... Um, uh, in studio editor and I uh, share this obsession, or at least uh, it's an obsession for me. I don't want to put words in Leah's mouth. Last night I watched um, uh, Aziz Ansari's uh, latest uh, Netflix uh, comedy special. It's called Right Now, and uh, I just was just mesmerized. I guess it's the way I was just. I wasn't really laughing uproariously, uh, Lori and Leah. I just was just watching it and absorbing it and taking it all in and i never was a huge fan of the guy before uh i you know i didn't i mean not a big parks and recs fan he's a comedian stand-up comedian his some of his earlier stuff i just didn't go for it anyway i was really impressed with it searching for someone anyone to talk about it nobody i bumped into in the street i'm like stopping strangers in the street have you seen this thing and leah saw it 
God bless you, Leah. You saw it. I didn't see it. I actually saw it, um, the tour live when he came to Chicago at the Chicago Theater. Um, so it was pretty much the same show verbatim as the one film for his Netflix special. And I think it is fantastic. I highly recommend it to pretty much anybody, uh, anyone on the political spectrum, Democrat, conservative. I think there's just a lot to glean from it, uh, definitely. Uh, and not only is it very funny, I was cracking up sometimes, it's very thought-provoking. Especially, he talks a lot about topics that you wouldn't think would be very funny, but he makes it, uh, I don't know, very relatable and communicates it in a humorous way, communicates a serious topic in a humorous yeah. way, such as, like, uh, he talks about aging, his grandmother with Alzheimer's. Oh, that yeah. kind of, like, struck a chord with me because my grandpa has dementia. Uh, but it, it's just very interesting. It, like, beyond um, any really comedy special i'd seen well he had like a yeah. me too story uh a while back right does he talk about well that? yeah no he, he uh he starts off i don't know uh laura if you're familiar with this comedian uh, uh but anyway it doesn't matter uh i'll i'll i'll, <laughs> wait, I'll, I'll, I'll introduce you. you enough so that you can w- run with it but uh yes uh he had uh it, it was a, a me too moment uh where uh, I, I can't remember the specifics of it but uh, a woman he was dating uh, came forth with uh, allegations of his improper behavior let's put it that way i'll just boil it down to that uh and he de- deals with it at the start of the um the comedy special in a very serious and somber way and then uh and then moves on into the comedy special uh and but yeah you hit it on the head uh his talking about people getting old he's only 36 and dealing with uh his gener the generation that's like that dementia and alzheimer's lord we, something uh, our generation is looking you know ahead yes. of. he says it's because it's going to be me too ladies and gentlemen you know none of us are exempt from this uh even z's uh, like leah have that <laughs> yeah. to look oh, forward I'm gonna to live forever yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh it's just a really beautiful thing the way he deals with it in a, uh and in, in, in a way uh and then he has this one part on want to give too much of it away where he's he talks about how he doesn't live at home with his parents so he sees them maybe three times a year and he has this thing where he goes if you think about it, if you don't live in the same town as your parents you see them three times a year you're gonna live another 20 years that's like what 60 more visits with your parents it's like whoa it's kind of a deep thing when you put it that way uh so anyway this is my way of saying i urge everybody uh if you got netflix check it out uh, and uh, Leah, thank you for watching it. Okay, someone else has seen it. Um, and uh, uh, so, Lori, you're, fami- you're not familiar with him, I could tell. I think I know who you're talking about, but I can't be for sure. So, so sorry. All right. Well, you have two assignments yeah. before you come back to the show <laughs> next, and you will be back in a month. Uh, I'm booking Lori again. One, watch the July 30th and 31st debates. I don't want to hear about some guy in <laughs> New Orleans who's not even running. All right? Uh, Mitch. Mitch, yeah. I know who he is. He's not running. It's no good if he's not going to run. You know, the great candidate. You can't win the game if you don't get in well, the game. You understand? You can what recruit him. Oh, I see. See, uh, Lori's got a little interior motive. And number two. Uh, number number two. two. <laughs> uh, Dr. T, the pain pills are wearing, wearing off. Uh, check out the, the special. Um, 
Aziz Ansari's special is really good uh, on Netflix. So uh, before we let you go, uh, Lori, are you, uh, it seems like you're all over the map, a little like me on this issue of of the future of our political scene here. Sometimes you're fatalistic and you're predicting like your friends in Europe that Trump will win. On the other hand, uh, then every now and then a burst of optimism seems to uh, come forth. So which way, where are you right now? Well, I think it's both ways. Um, but what I think is also really important is there are a lot of people who are organizing on the ground. You know, I'm a really big fan of organizing. You can call it community organizing. Um, but that can be very specific. And But I believe that there are people that for the past several years are really motivated and are building bases across the country. And I am kind of counting on them. And there are people who are starting to take on the gerrymandering that the Republicans did on a local level that built a very strong base. I think the Democratic Party just made a strategic error in the early 80s when um, Tony Coelho was the head of the DCCC, and they defunded all of their community organizing efforts. They defunded all the -the on-the-ground efforts and put money into TV and radio. There was no internet at the time. And direct mail, big into direct mail. And they took it out of the face-to-face contact. That actually was the heart and soul of the Democratic Party. So... I am hoping that there are people out there, and I've heard about some work that's going on with different groups, and that regardless of the candidate, there are people who are simply going to get the vote out in those strategic states that we actually have to get out. Oh, and I know, I am actually hoping that the candidate, that's the Democratic Party candidate this time, steps foot into Michigan. I think that's yeah. a really, yeah. really good yeah. idea. Yeah. I think that actually going to Ohio might be awesome. You know, hanging out in some of those states that, oh, we got we got it. We got it in the bag, babe. Mm, yeah. It's no problem. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that lots of less uh, arrogance, um, lots less, uh, you know, I, I just, as a consultant, I have worked as a consultant for 40 years in my life. And I have used polling and I've used data and I've done all the targeting and all this stuff. But sometimes I just want people to come from their heart. And I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to go back to the fact that we have to go back to people and have them feel heard. And I believe that the Democratic Party needs to go to the ground, on the ground, to touch the voters and let them know they actually care. Because there is too much elitism in the Democratic Party and all the fundraising that goes on and all the access. And no, you don't feel like you can touch it. I left the party when I was 28 for a reason, you know, because it wasn't real and it was all about power. So all this stuff is all about power. But how do you use power? And who are you gonna use it for? And the fact is, is, What I would tell the squad, who I admire, Mm -hmm. frankly, I think they're awesome women. In fact, I'm very proud of two of the women that I've coached through the German Marshall Fund just got elected actually to the European Union Parliament. And I'm hoping they're going to be a different kind of transformational leader. So I hope that these young women who uh, we are 
betting on in a whole lot of ways and the other people that were brought in in the last uh, congressional team. Um, being right, you know what? I don't know. You don't have to be right. You have to connect. You have to make people feel respected, like you're hearing them. Like as a consultant, in my 30s, I was maybe not always considered the nicest person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but. I, I will say that it took a long time for me to realize that everything in life is about relationships, really, and how you relate to people. And I would say to the Democratic Party, you got a lot of relating to do. And you got to start understanding people are who they are. They're not who you want them to be. And you do have to go to where they are. And you have to understand that people are in pain and they're angry and they're upset. And of course, I really agree with the one Roe Anderson. The last mile is the hardest. White people do not want to give it up. It's not going to happen easily. This is the last mile. I've climbed mountains. I've literally, I, I mean, and that last mile sucks. <laughs> and this is what, and the fact is, is our country is becoming a country of color. As I say, this is like the horizontal organizing effort, which is people are sleeping their way into one color. <laughs> and I love that actually. So all the white people in the world, like, you know what? White people are sleeping with black people or sleeping with brown people and they're making a melange of different babies and they're gonna rule the world. So this is gonna be tough. We just have to hang tough. And, but I think that I'm not saying like you have to be kind to people who are racist <clears throat> a-holes who are like really mean and nasty and say horrifying things to human beings. But before they become that raging person they become, yeah. maybe we have to understand that there's something wrong in middle America and we have to go and address it. All right, very good. That's Lori Glenn, and that's a good place uh, to end the show. Uh, sort of a hopeful, optimistic uh, ending, Lori. Uh, you've been all over the map like me, and I understand why, because it's that kind of- Yeah, I'm scared. Yeah, <laughs> it is a scary time. I also want to thank uh, Atiba Buchanan and Monroe Anderson, our earlier guests. Leah did a great job, as always. And how about Dr. D today? This man had root canal surgery, Lori Glenn, Amazing. at 11 o'clock. They shot him up with all kinds of horse pills. And <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, he looked good. Uh, yeah, he, no, looks, he looks good. His face isn't yeah. swollen or anything. No, no. And, uh, he's done a, a magnificent job. So uh, when I say this, I really, really mean it this time. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Go buy yourself some pain pills, Dr. D. Feel better for tomorrow. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, Chicago, oh, forward slash Jarofsky, by the way, chicagoreader.com, or wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. And uh, downloaders, we live stream this program Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time, chicago.suntimes.com, forward slash Jarofsky, uh, chicagoreader.com, and uh, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Find us on social media at Benny J Show.